Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning, everyone. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Today I'm joined by Joshua Singer, who is the author He's an author and founder of River Street Wellness, and we're going to be talking a little bit about the integrated model of healthcare. So I got to introduce Joshua. I was reading The World the other day. That's a um, weekly um, newspaper in Washington County, and I read it every week. And I found an amazing article on garlic. For those of you who know me or listen to this show, you probably know I am highly allergic to garlic. So this article and its author, who is my guest today, got my attention. Uh, but before we talk about garlic, let me introduce Joshua to you. Joshua, welcome to the yes. show. Hi, Pat. Thanks for having me on. I no hope problem. I didn't trigger anything with that article about garlic. <laughs> <laughs> I I just cracked up. I have so many questions about garlic. Um, I've been sick with this. I've been sick since my teen years, uh, allergic to garlic. But before we do that, can you talk a little bit about yourself and, interestingly, about your study and interest in Chinese medicine and also living in China. Sure. Well, um, I've been practicing Chinese medicine now for 20 years in central Vermont. I'm in Montpelier. Um, I started my, I guess, career as a pre-med student in college and decided to, well, I did some traveling during those pre-med years. I, I took a break from study and traveled really throughout the world on a, on a program um, and spent time in different countries and was just exposed to more than just, you know, our culture. Really opened my eyes at age 20, 19, 20, um, as to what, what else is happening in the world. Um, and, of course, I was interested in medicine, and I am, I've always been interested in medicine. So um, it just sort of opened my mind to what else is going on in the world for medical care and historically what has happened with medical care. And is this still relevant today and effective and appropriate? So um, I then decided instead of to, to pursue um, Western medical education, I decided to pursue Chinese medicine. And, and um, soon, soon, maybe a year after I graduated, I went to, to live in China for a year and um, really was just wanting to be within the culture to see its medicine, you know, in its native culture. And I taught English there, I studied the Chinese language, and I observed in the hospital setting, which is where Chinese medicine is done in China, and um, and just sort of traveled throughout the country and got a sense of the culture. And um, it was really a powerful time for me. And then I came back to the U.S. and began my master's program in Portland, Oregon, at the Oregon College of Oriental Medicine. And that was a three-, four-year program. And then graduated and moved to Vermont, where I began my family. Well, we're glad you're here. (laughs) Yeah. This is great. We have a friend, uh, Chris Barbieri, who used to be the head of the uh, Vermont Chamber, and he had lived in China as well and just... Loved it, absolutely loved it, and he yeah. he takes tours now. Goes back to China and uh, brings people on tours. <clears throat> wow! So that's something. not everything we. It's a little different, perhaps, in person than uh, what we hear through our news channels. Yeah, I would say so. 
Yeah, for sure. So also now, can you tell us about your River Street Wellness um, organization, which is, sure. uh, sounds fabulous, and talk a little bit about your staff, because they're a pretty impressive group, too. Yeah, well, I've um, always been interested in the, in the idea of, of kind of integrative care, working as a team and whatever we're doing. I grew up as a twin, so I always had some partner there. <laughs> and I'm just interested in working with others, and it always feels to me like the wisest approach to medical care for an individual is for them to have a team of providers, have more than just one mind thinking about them and caring about them. So that's just always been of interest of mine, using various services together in a coordinated kind of way, which somewhat happens in our Western medical model. We have specialists and we have a primary care and they communicate, and but everybody is really busy and, and it just can the individual can get a little bit lost in the process. So I, um, as, a, as a more practitioner of a more complementary and alternative type of medicine, um, Chinese medicine, I'm more connected to the various complementary providers in the community. So um, for me, around maybe five, six, seven years ago, I created this uh, really building we call River Street Wellness with four providers under this roof. We're all independent providers but we work in a coordinated sort of way whenever we can. Uh, there's myself, uh, there's a naturopathic physician, Dr. Stephanie Wozniak. There's a structural integrative body worker, uh, Eric Silvers here, who really does sort of massage type of work in a more structural kind of way. And there's a psychologist, Dr. Jacob Russick here. Um, again, we're all independent providers seeing our patients, um, but we do work where we can and when it's advised in a coordinated sort of way, as we do with the rest of the community, really, as we're communicating with people's primary care providers as well. Um, but we feel that, uh, that it's a better form of medical care, and, and p patients really appreciate that if they know that there's a team looking out for them and a team that's communicating with each other, especially. Um, that's really, that's also, really exciting. Um, another example, actually, aside from this location, is I'm working at the cancer center actually for 10 years or so uh, with the providers at the cancer center. It's another example of integrative care in our community. So at Central Vermont Medical Center, we have, of course, medical oncology. We have radiation oncology, but we also have acupuncture and massage services there, and everybody's working in a coordinated way. It's a great example. That's that's I saw that in your uh, in all the the research I did that you worked up at the cancer center, uh, cancer center yeah. which um, been there done that so good for you yeah now, integrated yeah. Um, I did I did a show uh, one time on integrated model of care and it seems that seems to be the approach taken by uh, healthcare in general that, to treat the whole person not just specific yeah. to whatever illnesses and I think that makes yeah. so much sense. Yeah, that's a good way to say it, uh, a holistic perspective of care. We're considering this individual, not just their physical experience, but but also in the context of their life. It's not just their physical experience. It's also their mental experience, their emotional, and even their spiritual experience um, influences this person, and we have to kind of look at that as a, in a whole kind of way, and that is a core component, like you say, of integrative care. Right, yeah, I think it just makes so much sense to me um, that you yeah. look at it's not just that one thing. There's always some kind of underlying 
something yeah. going on. I find myself often talking to people about their stressors uh, because yep. that's often a big influence on their on their symptoms is their actual stress. Um, and sometimes stress just means a lack of sleep, you know? But often it's about w- what's happening in their life that's causing tension for them. Yep. It's a big hard influence. Hard to turn it off at bed. Yeah, it's right. really hard when that pillow, your head hits the pillow to turn it all off. It's still going... Um, can you it's tell true. us a little bit about uh, the Chinese medical perspective of what you do in, within your practice? Um, what does that mean for your pa- uh, for your patients, and um, how did that mm-hmm. all influence uh, the way you practice? Sure. Well, I'm a practitioner of Chinese medicine, so when somebody comes in the door as a, as a patient, I'm I'm sort of I have the mindset of Chinese medicine, which is a a different perspective than what we're typically used to thinking. I mean, think of Chinese medicine as three, 4,000 years old. So the understanding of the body in that time, of course, it's been different than just in the past couple hundred years. So it's a little different way of, of thinking of the body, uh, which we can talk more about. I don't want to get too detailed, but um, patients are coming in with typically with a particular symptom that they want to see change. It's often pain here, but a whole variety of symptoms. Um, and, of course, I'm thinking about that in my Western medical mind, what is going on that this person has diabetes, exactly what's happening, or they have shoulder pain, and whoa, what's going on, why is the patient in pain? But I'm also really they're coming for my West, my Chinese medical thinking. And so people come in, and I'm making a diagnosis um, according to Chinese medicine, and then I'm choosing various uh, tools to help regulate the, the imbalance that we see in the body. Um, and that may be using acupuncture, that may be using Chinese herbs, it could be nutritional support, it may be exercise guidance or something like this, um, the various tools of Chinese medicine. Um, so people will usually spend an hour here and we'll talk for maybe 15, 20 minutes and then typically they lay on a table, we do some acupuncture points and they rest here for 20, 30 minutes um, letting the needles sort of do their work. Hmm. Sounds really great. Let, resting for a half hour in itself sounds great. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you, I, uh, when I have guests, I check out their website, and your website is truly amazing. And you obviously uh, are very interested in educating people because you have so much written on there. And, and the one thing that I caught my attention is um, you've got a section that says how we move through change is reflective of our health. Can you explain what that means to our to our listeners? Um, and I would certainly encourage uh, read, uh, listeners to to um, go to your website. Maybe you can also give us the um, website address too. Sure. Um, well, the website address is River Street Wellness VT. RiverStreetWellnessVT.com. Um, yeah, I realize that statement, how we move through change is reflective of our health, is sort of a general broad thing to, to, to say, actually, as, as we read it out loud. Um, but what I'm referring to, again, is maybe just general, general common sense, but also is reflective a little bit of the Chinese medical perspective. So um, it's really just like thinking about how do you move through the seasons, 
Do you get sick? Like right now, this morning was a little chilly, right? We're sort of yep. approaching a change of season right now. And how does your how does your body do through that? Do you tend to get a sick every fall that lasts for two or three weeks and it becomes a lung condition? Is that typical every year? It's a sign that you're moving through a change of season with a struggle a little bit. Um, or the menstrual cycle, the, the, the monthly hormonal change, of a woman, how what's that experience like? Maybe reflective of the state of health, uh, or or the state of the body. Maybe a better way to say it than health, but the state of the body may be seen as we go through changes. Also, right. in Chinese medical thinking, there's a change of blood. There's a change of direction in a joint on the body. The body, we say the energy or the blood moves through a joint and changes direction. Think the joint moves, so there's, there's a change that's happening in, in a joint space. So the, the way the joints feel or a joint feels is also another way to think about change in the body. I know it's physical, but also when we go through something like relocating to a new place or, or moving through a change in relationship or like an emotional change like this or, or the loss of, of a loved one, how do, we, how do we experience that maybe reflective of the state of uh, our body or the state of health? I'm, I think I told you I'm, I'm a little up there in years, and sometimes the <laughs> joints aren't working so good. Yeah. Well, it is a common reason people come for Chinese medical care uh, uh, most people at a certain age are experiencing some type of joint pain, typically from arthritis, but there can be other reasons, bursitis or tendon or ligament issues. But um, in my experience, most, most folks over a certain age are having some type of joint pain from arthritic changes, natural change in the body that happens. It just uh, depends on how severe that can be, how limiting that is. People can have arthritis, in my experience, and not necessarily have pain with that. We can reduce the degree of, accumul- of, of inflammation that accumulates in a joint from use. We can help manage the degree of inflammation each day. So people take medications. Acupuncture is another way to kind of increase the circulation of blood through the area so that the inflammation doesn't quite build up and create the pain that it, that it typically does. Um, that was just one ex- physical example we were using when we were talking about change, but it is a, a common people, a common reason people do seek care here. Well, it, it, um, I guess I'm struggling with. I've never been to acupuncture. How does what does the needle do um, when it's inserted in a muscle or wherever? Right. What's, what's, how it's does a good it work? question. Yeah, it's a good question. How does it work? is a, a long answer and is a little confusing and still is being investigated. Um, actually, the NIH has a whole department of uh, complementary and integrative medicine where they fund research around various uh, of these issues, and acupuncture is one of these funded places. So they used to put money toward funding, does acupuncture work? And now they're funding... Uh, they're funding how does acupuncture work. So that's still being discovered, and I'm surely not a, a researcher or expert on this, but we do know that acupuncture does, we put these very fine needles, like you said, into muscle tissue, which sometimes aren't even noticed. Sometimes we feel them a little, sometimes we really don't even feel them. It's a pretty mild experience in general, um, but it can create 
quite significant change in the body. There's a, you know, there's a foreign object now being inserted into the body, so there is a response that the body naturally takes to that object, and that comes from the brain. There's certain natural endorphins, natural, the body's natural opioids really get released from the brain in response to this foreign object. There's local changes that happen in the in the vessels, they'll dilate and bring more blood flow to that area. The muscle tissue itself will often kind of relax in a way. Um, but there's often, re- there's often effects to the internal organs even from neurological, from nerve pathways. We can stimulate the effect of the stomach, for example, to, re- to function more effectively. Even the reproductive organs or the brain, we we can actually influence the functioning of the internal organs. And all we understand right now is more of a neurological sort of pathway, but it's still still being understood from a Western medical perspective. If we wanted the Chinese medical perspective, that's a whole... It's a whole other conversation that involves energy and circulation through channels and internal organ systems, which we could talk more about, but it may get a little heavy, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Good. So is it, now you're probably going to kill me for this question, is it a little bit of mind over matter? Because I'm saying that because I've had Reiki, and mm-hmm. that's just your mind making it work <laughs> because they don't touch you. But yeah. you're you're focusing on where the needle is, on where the hands are when they're doing Reiki. Is is that is there a little I, bit of that involved? I don't know. Maybe I would say there may be a little bit of that, and I would say there may be a little bit of that in in every medicine uh, that we're right. doing. Our even science around the placebo effect. There's some good science that I've been interested in right. around the placebo effect. If we do what we expect. Our expectation when we're doing something has an influence in the process. So I believe there is a placebo effect happening in, in most medicine, even even Western medicine. I do believe that. But, but there are physical changes that we see from an acupuncture needle. So I don't, I wouldn't say acupuncture is a placebo effect, but I do think it's part of it. Right. It just makes sense that way because of my Reiki experience. When you relax and let it let it work, and you're thinking about it, you you walk away feeling like you had a deep tissue massage. Just something amazing. changes. Something changes yeah. in the physical tissue of your body, not just your mind, but the physical tissue yeah. because of that experience. And that's pretty fascinating. I I don't think we value it enough. The placebo effect, or your your actual own influence, you relaxing your mind and being in that state can actually affect your body. I, I think that's actually a little bit not explored enough, you know. Huh. But again, maybe that's another show. Yeah, maybe so. I'm glad I brought it up um, because I just I, I think a lot of it is well, I call it attitude, but it's really it's that mind mind thing. Um, anyway, yeah. I wanted to to move on. You you talked uh, uh, on your website about a couple of Chinese herbs that you feel everybody should know about and obviously use. Um, what what herbs are they, and what what are their um, implications well, for your? Health? I think I know what you're referring to. An article. I think I, the article may have been talking about circulation. I think the article was about circulation at the time, huh. blood circulation. So yeah. I referred to a couple 
uh, Chinese herbs that we commonly use in formulas. So Chinese herbs are used in formulations, not typically by themselves. In Western mm-hmm. medicine, we think of using uh, like echinacea by itself or St. John's wort or something. Uh, in Chinese medicine, they're in combinations. The, they have a synergy that happens between them that can that can affect the body. So there was a couple I mentioned, I think, in that article. One was cinnamon. And cinnamon has, like cinnamon is good right now, actually, as it's as the season's changing and it's going to get a little cooler. Cinnamon has a warming impact on the body and can help circulate blood to the extremities. So actually, for joint pain in general, to the extremities, uh, acup- uh, cinnamon is, is typically helpful. Again, we usually use it in a formula rather than just sprinkling it on your food that may not have the, the strongest impact. There's another one I mentioned called Corydalis in English. We call Yen Hu Suo in Chinese. It's another, again, uh, blood circulating herb that's used for various sort of stagnation issues, including like uh, uterine fibroid or pain, uh, pain in general, accumulated inflammation. We'll use Corydalis as it's a common herb for pain management. So that may have been an article on pain, actually. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but there's a lot of herbs. Another good one that, that's worth mentioning is astragalus. I don't know if that's a common herb for people. That it's kind of thought of as a main Chinese herb for immune regulation. So if the immune, if the immune system is hyperactive, it can be helpful at calming the immune system, like with allergies or the immune system's underactive. Astragalus is another good herb to keep in mind as this season approaches us, you know, fall and that's then winter. Great. And can you? Uh, we have about two minutes before we have to take a break. But sure. where can can you find it at the? Um, oh, great. Um, some earlier. some herbs are are not necessary. They're not as common. I like cinnamon, you yeah. know. But astragalus is actually an herb you can find at the locals. You know, co-ops. You would find oh, cool. astragalus um, as a in the supplement section. It's a very commonly used herb, and in, in, in like Western medicine, people they often use it by itself. But it's kind of one of those herbs that say, I need to support my immune system. I expect to get a cold, and then it will become bronchitis. I better use something. I'm going to use astragalus. And you just follow the guidance on the bottle. And, Joshua, I understand there's a sign in your um, garden that says, Dad's Garlic Patch. (laughs) Right. So you you are a fan. I'm a fan. I I guess I I like to grow it because it's easy to grow. And we don't. We're not a great gar- a great garden family, but we grow a few things. And yes, my daughter made me a sign there because <laughs> I like to grow the garlic. I am a big fan. Um, I I I became a fan. I think when I was in school doing research, uh, and I learned that garlic was used during the Black Death, the Black Plague in the 1300s, mid 1300s. You know, in Europe, and. Supposedly, I was interested because a lot of the people who survived that were regularly eating garlic and onions, and uh, that just sort of caught my attention. And uh, and there's been research into garlic probably since the 40s here, um, or in Europe possibly uh, uh, around why is gar- why is garlic helpful for us and what how is it helpful for us? And they've just learned a lot about this this food garlic. And I enjoy the taste of it, so uh, I often advise it to my patients for various reasons, especially when they may be feeling the first signs of a cold. Garlic has that antiviral, antibacterial property. That's why it was helpful in the the plague. It has that antibacterial effect. Um, So 
eating garlic, particularly when you're starting to get a little bit of a cold, it can really be helpful. You know, it's considered so you like say a eating food. eating raw garlic is better is better. Um, well, yeah, you they're, also they're, say, Yep. I'm just going to say, you also say that eating too much garlic is not good. So, well, I may have. Wrong? I think the reason I said eating too much may not be good, may because for some people maybe well you can't eat any garlic, but some people can be just sensitive digestively. Eating too much raw garlic. If I eat too much raw garlic, I mean like more than one clove. That that that'll just irritate the digestive tract. So that's, I think, what I was referring to. Garlic can also be a blood thinner. So people who are taking blood thinners have to be careful with garlic. Um, oh, that's important. Um, but well, here's, here's, uh, my, garlic, here's my garlic story. I, I, um, uh, because when, you, when I saw that you said eat garlic raw, uh, about a year or two ago I was in Kenny Bunkport, which is actually where I am now, um, and they had an open house at a, at a place, and they had what I thought, was Chinese water chestnuts. So I mm-hmm. put one in my mouth, and it was. And my daughter came running, truly running across the, the floor. Mom, Mom, I ate a raw garlic. So we left the store, and I all the way down the sidewalk, I'm going, I'm going to die. Just bring me to the hospital. Let's not mess around. The first sign of I'm sick, let's go. And I did not get sick at all, not once. Huh. And I huh. don't understand why. So you're saying well, in your past you did get sick from garlic? Oh, from uh, for anything with garlic in it that's cooked, I get it's yeah. just uh, I it's I'm not going to discuss what happens, but it's pretty gross. Well, and <laughs> I get sick. So it's pretty fascinating that you ate this this garlic and uh, you didn't feel a thing. I don't know what that's to think about that. Interesting. I'm not trying it again in case I'm wrong, but. But I really thought, and they all, they were right with me. The, the, my, my husband and my daughter were like, yep, we're going to take you, you know, because it usually takes about 10 minutes, and I'm, I'm out for the count. And wow. um, it's, it's awful. Now, I also heard, I don't want to get too much of this, that in the clove itself there is this brown stem in the middle or something that if you take that out and don't use it to cook, you, I don't get sick. Is that oh, that's, not true. that's interesting. I don't, I don't know about that. Um, I wonder. There's a compound called allicin. In it's called the, the the chemical compound in garlic is called allicin that gives the bene, that gives the health benefit. Really, is what they've learned. There's also sulfur containing compounds in the garlic, and I wonder if it's more concentrated in the center of the garlic. It, like it's more con- those compounds are more concentrated. And if you take out the concentrated uh, yep. chemical compounds, it'd be less impactful. I wonder. That's just my own thinking. I've been told that really good restaurants take out that middle part and oh. still get the flavor, which I love. By the way, I love the flavor of garlic, and I'll be eating something and going, "Oh my God, this is great!" And then all of a sudden, the brain kicks in. I'm like, "Uh oh." Yeah, yeah, that's and too bad. I'm that way with great. avocado. <laughs> you get sick from avocado? Yeah. In everything. Yeah, yeah. It's, I love it, garlic though. now in, in everything. My husband will ask a waiter, go check, you know, because he doesn't want to deal with this. And I don't blame yeah. him. I don't want to deal with it. Anyway, I'll have to I'll have to do a, a home taste test and see what happens. But raw garlic <laughs> I ate didn't get sick. So there you go. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Because it's in everything, honest to goodness. 
I, I stay, I'm at Price Chopper or wherever, and I'm standing in the aisles for like hours reading the labels to see. Oh, uh, gosh. That's too bad. That's hard. No, it's terrible. It's <laughs> That's really too hard. bad. Sorry. Garlic is great. Yeah, it, oh, I know. I'm missing out. Maybe maybe some of my yeah. my aches and pains would go away. Um, anyway, let me. We need to move on. Um, <laughs> but thanks for. The, if you find out anything about garlic, I've actually researched it a lot, so yeah. I know about my nemesis here. Um, mm-hmm. You, um, there was an article I read that uh, talked about the introduction of the five branches of Chinese medicine, which. And you write about you have a natural health corner um, where you where you put your monthly column of, of uh, ideas on various That's right. topics. You're still doing that. I do. That's really what I just translate to my website. I have a monthly right. article that I write in our our the world here in Central Vermont, and right. there's a natural health column, and I've been doing that for over ten years, I believe. So I just yeah. kind of translate that to my my blog, so you would see repetitive information. Um, but I I did write about the five branches of Chinese medicine. That's we have what we call traditional Chinese medicine, which I believe is a term that Mao Mao Zedong in the 50s, 60s created, and to sort of define Chinese medicine and how it's being practiced and taught around the world eventually. And there's considered five branches, acupuncture, Chinese herbs, massage, nutrition, and exercise. And this is what we, the tools we use as we're helping change the body. Most people think of acupuncture. But that's really uh, that's really just one branch of Chinese medicine. Uh, oh, that's, so, it's real, and I like I like the massage part. That's um, yeah, sure. That's, that's where I would focus. Yeah, I there, love there are yeah. It's kind of a Chinese style massage, that's sort of intense at times. Exactly. That's really cool. Well, I've had I've had cancer, and I'm not supposed to have deep tissue mm. massages, but um, yeah. Um, what do they call it with the um, the the water retention and blood flow? I can I can do a right. massage that um, that gets rid of that stuff, but not deep dish. Which yeah, the lymphatic drainage. Yeah, light yeah exactly. Massage, That's right. what I go for. Yep. So yep. another topic that we should talk about is, and which everybody uh, can relate to, I think, is the immune system itself. Um, right. The importance of keeping that balanced and keeping you healthy. What could you talk about the immune system a little bit and how we should be paying attention? Sure. I mean, somebody who's had a past history of cancer, of course, wants to yeah. keep their immune system as as strong as possible to deal with any any uh, you know cancer cells that come up that we're all getting. You want your immune system to keep everything in check. Yep. Um, and like we were talking about the change of season, you want your immune system to deal with any viruses that come up. And, uh, in China, I mean, I'm the Chinese medical practitioner. We, I think about this in terms in Chinese medicine. We, we have what we we call the what, in Chinese medicine we think of the defensive energy, your 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 upright or defensive energy that is protecting you against the invading pathogens in the environment or within your body. So, our goal is to keep the zheng qi, we say, or the or or the the uh, your immune system really strong to deal with whatever comes up. Um, and in Chinese medicine, like I was referring to the herb, astragalus, uh, we use other herbs to help support the immune function. Exactly what is that doing in the body? I can't tell you particularly what immune factors does astragalus affect, but I believe there's research around this. I'm just not as up on it. Um, 
But I agree with you. Keeping your immune system strong um, is kind of of key importance, especially as we age. We get a little more vulnerable, and we just uh, so we don't want to do things that compromise our immunity uh, and things that strengthen. And you know, that can be a lot of things. By getting over cold, by getting too cold, that can compromise your immune system. Eating too much cold food for some people can be compromising. So we just have to learn about our bodies. And what works well, could you expand on that a little bit about, about cold and, and your immune system? What well, happens? for some people, again, this is Chinese medical thinking. Yeah. And I don't know if the Western uh, immunologist would agree. Um, but, you know, having excessive fat, you know, where we were talking earlier about imbalance in the body and having excessive certain factors, certain temperatures or certain environments could kind of compromise a certain body more than the next body. And again, we we often think of public health, but not always individual health. And and how is how does your body? You can't have garlic. I have no problem with garlic. Or your body may respond to colder weather in a way the mind doesn't. If I'm around cold, like quickly, my my hands get really cold. My, my uh, blood vessels constrict real quick. It happens to my body. I have to be aware of that. And. Um, so, so certain flavors even of food having ice-cold water could really compromise the digestive process for somebody more so than the next person. Really cooling down the digestive process may li- limit the food being digested and could impact you know, the, the energy of your whole body because you're drinking ice water every day. Again, that may be more significant for one person than the next. And when when people come to you as, as as patients or clients, are you able to make it uh, obviously make it specific to them, and what would work for them over time? Right? I mean, that's yeah, that's they would the goal. go away with a better understanding. Does cold impact me, or doesn't it impact? Yeah, me? yeah, that's really what we're looking for. These kinds of things. How, oh. That's often the questioning. Um, uh, how does cold impact you? Does your body tend to run cold? Do you get cold hands and feet? Do you tend to overheat at nighttime and you have kind of a flush on your face? We're looking for these kinds of these kinds of things that give us information. We don't really have those diagnostic tools 3,000 years ago like the CT scan and the blood work and all this. Right. We, we use the pulse, actually, the way the pulse feels and the way the tongue looks and the way the the skin on the face looks and the way the you know all these symptoms or these how does one sleep at night how do the bowels move all this gives us insight into where there's balance and imbalance in in the body how do you do when you have cold water you know this sort of thing um all gives us information to from a chinese medical view to understand where that imbalance is and then we can use actual acupuncture or herbs to help regulate the body. Joshua, when you were talking about cold, my daughter, when she was young, if she drank too much cold anything, she would get what they call pharyngitis, which is like laryngitis, but it's triggered by cold. Isn't Have you ever heard of that? Not directly. That's, that's interesting. I'm, and again, thinking I about that. Make sure I, I do everything room temperature for her. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it, we have to kind of pay attention in this way to our bodies, and we find some interesting things. Yeah, really, for sure. Um, I just, I've never, but it's, I don't hear about pharyngitis 
Um, yeah, pharyngitis. It's, uh, yeah, less common than laryngitis. Yep, right. Well, she'd get it all the time, so we'd have to watch what she was drinking. Anyway, oh, yeah. um, it's just fascinating, all this stuff. Uh, you also, on your website, talk about... Um, about six or seven other things that you that you deal with with your patients. Eye health, and I'd love to talk, pick one or two of these to talk about. Eye health, indigestion, feeling drained. There's one we should talk about. Constipation, Bell's palsy, which is interesting, and and the breach the breach presentation during pregnancy. Can you pick? Yeah, this is like. Sure, I can sort of talk about, I mean, these are just various topics that usually when I write an article, I see somebody at, or people in my office and it sort of just stimulates an idea. I think I'll write about that. Uh, maybe huh. do a little research or just share the thoughts of Chinese medicine and maybe help folks who may have similar conditions. So uh, this just comes out of who I see in my in my office. Remember, Chinese medicine is, is 3,000-some years old, so right. there was a lot of people, and this was the main form of treating those people, acupuncture, Chinese herbs. So uh, so we're treating almost all conditions with acupuncture and Chinese medicine. Sometimes people say, can acupuncture treat this or can acupuncture treat that? But really, acupuncture is treating the body and treating this person and the imbalance in this person, which may be presenting in a certain way, like constipation or, or, or glaucoma or um, so that's the way we're viewing it, again, from this holistic perspective. Um, so, again, we're treating the individual. So there may be three individuals that have sinusitis, and we may treat them in different ways depending on how they're diagnosed. They, they may not be diagnosed in the same way, even though they're all presenting with this particular symptom. I hope that's not confusing. Anyway, we use acupuncture for these various reasons. Uh, yeah, breach presentation, if the baby isn't in the correct position at the end phase of pregnancy, we can actually use uh, what we call moxa or a, 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 a heat, a heat, um, a form of heat. It's an herb that's uh, called uh, mugwort, Chinese mugwort, that's heated up, and we can stimulate a certain point on the little toe, actually, that can actually turn the baby. And I've wow. done it enough times to just sort of expect it to happen now. It's really surprising. They're usually well, in that end Do you have any idea pregnancy. how it wo- How does it work? How does well, it Well, make- I don't. From a, <laughs> from a Western mindset, I yep. don't. I can't really explain it. From a Chinese medical mindset, well, the channel that moves particularly up from the toe goes to the uterus, and we can explain it from a Chinese medical, from a Western medical. I have an uncle who's a, an OBGYN. He didn't want to hear anything about it, you know? Right. <laughs> Um, wow. But same with smart Bell's baby. palsy. What's that? I said smart baby. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe he just didn't it does, like it, it and decided to get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. So how does Bell's palsy help? Well, Bell's palsy, actually, when I was in China, I was studying with a, I was observing a neurologist there who saw a lot of Bell's palsy. So I saw a lot of this in China. Um, you know Bell's palsy is sort of facial paralysis. Right. Um, it can just help the muscle recover. They can help the nerve and the muscle recover from the paralysis. Um, so I advise, I just want people to realize if you ever wake up with that facial paralysis, if you get the acupuncture soon, it can just help the recovery process happen. Same with stroke. There's a whole field of Chinese medicine that deals with stroke recovery. People travel to China after their stroke to recover in China, there's acupuncture, particularly on the scalp, 
that can help the brain recover from from the stroke. Uh, wow. So there's a lot this of different things. Is, I guess the point is that we can we can use with Chinese medicine. So just tell me, there's no needles with the eye health issue, right? With the eye health. Well, we use needles, uh, oh. not not necessarily in the eye, although oh, there good. are points around the eye. I don't really love needling around the eye myself, so I don't really needle. But there are points in other areas of the body, especially on the foot, that we'll use for eye health. Right. Yeah. That's, oh, okay. That's, that I could deal with. I saw eye health, and I went, oh, no, no yep. no um, needle in the eye. So but we only have um, six or seven minutes left, and you wrote a wonderful article, and I, I, and I thought, oh, it's entitled Lessons from the Flood. But I must tell you, you wrote this article... What, using it as an example with such compassion, and you did it so tastefully that, because I thought, well, what is this? Lessons from the flood. Um, could you talk a little bit about that article? Because you really did a great job explaining. Well, thank you. No, seriously, because that could have gone a couple of different ways, and it was a, it was perfect. Well, thanks, Pat. I appreciate that. I, I felt good about that article. Sometimes you just yep. start writing something and it comes out in a good way. Um, yeah, I find it myself. I wrote another one called Lessons from the Power Outage, and wow. I wrote one called Lessons from the Rake, you know, when you're raking. So I find myself just, we go through these experiences collectively, whether we're raking our yard or going through a flood or, or going through a power outage or, you know, the, the winter in Vermont. We're going through these things together. I guess I'm observing and with my Chinese medical and my medical mind, um, and I find there to be parallels. Uh, so I talk about the culvert and water flow uh, that we struggled with last month and how that can relate to the flu- fluid circulation. You mentioned lymphedema. That's an example. Yep. The lymphatic, yep. the actual lymph node was damaged for some reason, likely surgery. So the lymphatics are not moving the way they ideally should, and you get swelling. That's an example. Um, so I was just, I often relate the, um, you know, and and how people were you know, having to get rid of the water that was building using their shop vacs or their sump pumps, and the idea of staying ahead of yeah. the idea of staying ahead of it that we had to do, and how we need to do that in our bodies as well with stress management and pain management, because if it accumulates, we may see trouble. And I, I just talked about in that article about patterns that we're used to that that change, like the flow of the river, or even in our own lives that we that we is part of part of life that we adjust to and how it can be freeing at times. And I ended that article talking about how we how we kind of want to help each other, you know, how we saw yep. people just going in and volunteering and just going into town wanting to help. And I found that to be a beautiful thing. It was like the innate part of our human nature was coming out in, in a crisis, yep. just wanting to help each other, you know. There's nothing, nothing to gain. It's just in yeah, it was a beautiful thing. So yeah. I like to share what I see. <laughs> That's well, you did. A, I, I, when I saw this topic, I went, uh oh, because only yeah. because it could be. Yeah. It could it could be not so not so positive, but you did a yeah. really awesome job with a lot yeah. of uh, respects and sensitivity to what mm. people are going through because um, um, it's just hard to imagine even dealing waking up and everything's gone. Um, yeah, it is. It's hard to it's hard to imagine for especially those of us who haven't experienced it. I, it is hard to imagine. 
So I'm going to ask a, a technical question here. Uh, Joshua, is your service, are they covered by health care, by, by Blue Cross Blue Shield or insurance? Oh. Or? Yeah, some, um, some plans do. Most plans oh. don't. Um, okay. Actually, it's something the acupuncturists in Vermont are trying, and, and nationally, are trying to help change. Like there's a bill in, in Congress right now to help Medicare add acupuncturists, Medicare, ah. add acupuncturists as providers. But even in Vermont, we've been working closely with the insurance companies to make this. Some bigger plans, like if you work for the state of Vermont, your Blue Cross plan covers acupuncture. Or if you work for UVM Health Network, your Blue Cross plan covers acupuncture. So there are a few plans. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off again, but we uh, no. we are at end of time. I cannot thank you enough uh, oh. for coming on the show. I am fascinated by all of this. We're going to have to talk more. Um, well, thank you, Pat. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was really great. Uh, Joshua Singer, uh, founder of the River Street Wellness. Check out his website. It is excellent. I read every word. In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Joining me on the phone is Barry Fisher, who is the owner of Barry Fisher Photo and Gallery in Waitsfield. Um, i got to tell you how I met Barry. It was pretty cool. So I went to the Waitsfield Farmer's Market um, a couple of weeks ago, and a friend of mine brought me to the most um, this amazing gallery right at the end of the market. We walked into the gallery where there was a warm, welcoming environment with comfortable cuts. All of my colors that I like were all there. There were art books, tables with art supplies. If you want to create something while waiting and visiting, the walls were filled with amazing artistic images of Vermont scenery, barns, animals, lots of dogs, and uh, along with personal portraits that were all remarkable. And so I decided to ask the owner, Barry Fisher, to come on the show and to talk about her work and life as a photographer. Barry, welcome to the show. Hello, Pat. Nice to hear from you and see you again. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, this was great. That was the best visit. I, I needed that. I needed a place to hide. And I told her I w- didn't want to leave. I just wanted to snuggle up on one of those couches and stay there all day. <laughs> um, you've been a professional for over 35 years. You photographed over 1,500 weddings and events worldwide and worked with Ski Racing International and the U.S. Ski and Snowboard teams, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And you've worked with many magazines and organizations. Could you elaborate on all of that for me? What a background. Oh, well, thanks, Pat. You know, the way I see it is that um, we are all given these amazing gifts in our life and um Photography is definitely one that I gravitated at a very young age. Um, yeah, and I just always felt it in my heart. And my dad gave me a camera when I was... I used to see my sister, actually. She went away to high school, and she would come home, and 
we had horses and my parents actually built two ski areas, Catamount Ski Area in the Berkshires and Jiminy Peak. And uh, my dad's name is Jack Fisher. And he started in 1939, so he was a real pioneer of the industry. And when my sister would go away to school, she'd come back and we'd go horseback riding. And then we would take photos. And I didn't know anything about photography at age 10. I hadn't quite been educated on, you know, how the whole process worked with developing the film, etc., and so my sister, after we would go riding, she'd go into this little dark room that my dad built, and uh, he had given her a camera, and she would come out, and I would just be in complete awe. And so I looked at him one day, and I said, Dad, I have to have a camera, and I was 10. And so he gave me a camera for um, a gift, which was very kind. And I looked at him after I uh, went through... And I looked at it and I went, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. So I believe we all have our gifts, like you on the radio, like anybody that loves what they do. It's an intuition. And I found that at age 10, and I'm very grateful for it and for my dad giving me that camera. And when I brought the camera up to my eye, back then it was uh, the casing was leather. I've actually been a photographer longer than 35 years. I realize it's more like 45. (laughs) And um, I brought the camera up to my face, and I twisted the lens, and I just thought, and then I smelled the leather at the same time, and all these senses were happening. And I went, this is incredible. I'm going to photograph ski racing for the rest of my, I'm going to go photograph ski racing in my career. And fortunately, I got to do that. You know, when you follow your dreams. Yeah. Well, I think ski racing, as I wanted to talk about that, but uh, you've been educated in photography. It's very, your education background is very extensive. Could you talk about the schools you attended and maybe what you brought from each one of those uh, with you because you are clearly talented? Oh, thank you. No, really. Um, Well, when it time to leave my you know high school and college I my mom was a New Yorker so she had we had an apartment in New York City too so I decided well maybe I'll I'll look at the school of visual arts so I looked at school visual arts but you know as a child I used to go to New York a bit quite a bit with my mom and my family but I also had the joy of having the country also And when you have a ski area, which I was very fortunate to have, there was lots of land to run on and to ride horses on and to be free on. So I had the balance of both. And so I always was between, do I want to be a city person or a country person? But I always knew in my heart of hearts it was country, hence why I live in Vermont. And um, so... I went to New York, did a stint in New York, did the photo thing there, went to School of Visual Arts, learned, you know, lots with photography as far as color, black and white. And we're talking, this was in um, the 80s. And then um, I went to, gosh, where'd I go after that? I, I ended up paying for all my school, so I would 
figure out ways to go to different schools because I wanted variety. I love change. I don't mind change. Change is what makes me the person that I am today. And it's wonderful to have that because the world changes all the time. We never know. And, uh, yeah. So, um, I then went to Lake Placid School of Art, School of um, New England School of Art and Design in Boston on Newberry and New England School of Photography and um, NISAP, New England School of Photography. And I think there's another one in there. Oh, yeah, Academy of Arts in San Francisco. Great. So it was just I wanted to learn etching, silk screen, sculpture, pottery. I wanted to learn all mediums, but I always knew in my heart that it was photography that was my baby. It just spoke to me. We talked. We communicated. We we just worked together beautifully. And um, well, obviously, you do. Um, after you graduated on all this education, you actually opened up your own studio, which I found fascinating for somebody who just graduated. I mean, how do you do that and and be <laughs> successful at the same time? Oh, I like that. Okay, so. I, seeing my parents, you know, we're all programmed from a young age, and (laughs) either you take it or you don't, and you take the good with the bad, and if there is such a, you know, just you take it whatever way it comes, and I never saw my parents work for anybody, Hmm. and all my friends were going off and working for other people, and I said, well, why would I do that when you know, this is my baby, I would be giving away my heart and soul. So I did it on my own. And I just realized that when you follow your heart and your dreams and your intuition, it just it just comes to you, comes to you. And, and when you're out in nature all the time and you're grounding with no shoes on, I'm realizing that how much I ran around without shoes and and it really, that grounding really helps you to really kind of just find your peace and, and your, your purpose. So I would say that's how I started. And I started at just 17 when people would start asking me to do jobs for them. Yep. So next thing I knew, I had a business and I've had it ever since. That's great. Good for you. You also, you would mention, and I, I wanted to follow up on all the ski racing um, photographs that you took. You worked for Ski Racing International and the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Teams. I mean, that is so dynamic and so, um, extreme. Ralph Delorier's sons are into extreme skiing. And um, Oh, I know those guys, yeah. Yeah, they are amazing. We used to go to watch all their videos all the time. I mean, to be able to capture that motion, um, people in motion, is a real skill. Um, and you did that for quite a few years, right? Many, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. You were in Waitsfield, speaking of skiing. Right, living, well, I actually, speaking of change, I traveled a bit and moved a lot because I wanted variety. I wanted to see a lot in the world. My camera was able to take me places and restaurant work and ways to... um, to see the world was with my camera and 
I would just put my camera on with my skis over my shoulder and maybe $500 in my pocket. And I'd move to a ski town and I'd, I'd walk down the street. Hey, do you have anyone who has a place to live? It was my internet back in the, you know, 80s and nine, yeah, 80s. And uh, I inevitably found amazing people and situations and it allowed me to ski and take photos. And that's all I really wanted and great friends and family, of course, and animals and nature. But skiing was my baby and I'd done it since I was two and it was like walking. So Ski Racing International provided Gary Black, who um, started ski racing. When I moved to Waitsfield, um, that was obviously my calling. And Gary hired me and traveled with them. And and it was just like walking. It was just no matter you're going down the Hanenkam on a sheet of ice, which is one of the biggest ski races in the world in Austria, Kitzbühel. And you're skiing with Telemark skis with a 400 millimeter lens over your shoulder. You just, it's just, I don't know. I just, I didn't even think about it. That's great. You know? Well, you say it, you have to do your photography using all your senses, and I'm sure you were then. Definitely, yes. That's great. I talk about how I'm a calculator with a heart when I go around the room at a wedding. Did I get this? Did I do that? You know, you want your photographer making sure they're not photographing the same people over and over. They're not photographing at a wedding one side of the family. You want to make sure that you really are like a calculator and you're feeling and you're seeing the emotions. And, you know, I cry behind the lens still after 45 years because it's it's this amazing day in you know, a life of these beautiful people that have asked me to photograph their weddings or their events. And I am right there for them for whatever they want. It's very important to me and I take it very seriously and it's an honor. And I also, it's a special day in my life because they've asked me. So every day is a special day. I need to tell you just one thing before we talk about that precious present comment. Um, I had relatives that live in Waitsfield came up last week, and when I mentioned you were going to be on the show, um, my cousin's wife went on and on. She was so complimentary and so Aww. aware of your of your talents and the work that you do, and I thought, whoa, I've picked a good guest for sure. <laughs> um, that's so, so sweet. They love you Thank in you. Waitsfield, Barry. Pardon me? So that's a, they love you in Waitsfield, that's for sure. Thank um, you so much, Pat. Oh, it's cool, and I love so, that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a great. I lived there um, when I first started working for state government. I was over in Bristol, and that that uh, route with it, Route 17. I wasn't going to do that every day, especially in the wintertime. So I moved over to um, to the Mad River, and I lived right in Waitsfield, and I just loved it there. Just amazing. I know. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. Anyway, I have to tell you, when I read the precious moment that you were talking about about. Um, life being a compilation of precious moments. When I taught Sunday school years ago, years and years ago, my class gave me this book called The Precious Present. And it was about a young boy who's searching all over the world to find out what the precious present was. And in the end, he realized that it was the present, the, the moment that he is in, as, as you talk about, and that's what you're capturing with your photographs. So from that moment on, 
uh, on the bottom of my screen on my computer in work, I had this tagline that moved and said, wherever you are, be there. Mm. And it made me focus on the present. If if an employee came in, I focused on them. If I was doing a project, I focused on that. And you get a lot more work done that way when you're actually focusing and not having your mind go a bazillion ways to Sunday. So I I thought that was really great that uh, you talked about the precious moment. Um, So that that just brought back a lot of memories uh, for me. And it's true, right? I mean, when you um, get that picture in in your um, uh, camera, I mean, that's what happened at that moment. How cool. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's, you know, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because I wrote that like 30 years ago. I wrote <laughs> that. True. And I fine-tuned yeah. it a little bit, but it's still how I feel. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just those moments are so... I see them before they happen with photography. Yeah. Well, and it, it's it's a skill that you were born with because I think with all the education, you can learn how to take that skill and maybe enhance it, make it a little better, what colors go with what colors, um, uh, symmetry, what balances. and you can Maybe you can learn that, but your skill is innate and you were born with that skill because I take pictures. And they're not like yours exactly. Um, mm. Well, it's, isn't that true a little bit? You you must when you put that camera up to your eye and said, "Wow, that was your skill." That's that's what happened. So um, I think it's great. Um, and um, and I think you also like to educate folks. You do a lot of, of teaching, do you not? I do. I um, used to teach. Uh, actually at the Berkshire School for uh, about four or five, four years I worked there. And then um, the Palm Beach Photographic Center down in Florida, I did that for a while. Um, and now I have my gallery and I will start uh, teaching. I'll teach privately. I definitely I teach privately now. And I haven't quite put together a schedule for teaching regularly at my gallery, but I definitely do private. The reason is is because I got the gallery. I got it last October, but I had to redo a bunch of things and then kind of really got it going in March, April. And then summer came and the farmer's market. And um, so the next phase is having all of my fine art with winter, spring, summer, and fall. I'll have all different uh, seasons of Vermont and beyond, as I have photos from many places and just beautiful scenic. So, and also animals and nature and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I wanted to yeah. talk about the dogs because I'd love to have you. Um, I sent you a, a picture or two of Coco. Um, did you get them? I sent them to you. Oh, you did. did you I did email. Oh, I must have. Had, I looked this morning. I will look. Um, so I sent you my a picture, and I um, I had picture before she had surgery and had one eye removed because of the diabetes and the cataracts mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And and when I sent that, what happens? What what do you do with my photograph and my puppy? Oh, okay. Well, first of all, I definitely sent you two two versions, three versions. So I don't know oh, if you look. can look at your email, but it's definitely there. I sent them. Uh, oh, I'm sure it is. I, I just caught, didn't look this morning. 
no worries. Um, well, what happens is I was doing an encaustic. Encaustic is wax. It's a workshop that I was doing with Lorraine Glessner. And if anyone doesn't know about her, she teaches a beautiful workshop at the LaRue Farm. And when I found out that she was in my town, uh, her and Beth Murphy were just here. And I just absolutely love working with Lorraine. And so I was taking that course, and all of a sudden I started coming up with these concepts because I photographed dogs for, for years. And I said, oh, and, you know, when you go to these workshops, things come up to you. You just start, things start moving. You start, yeah, this is it, this is it. You're starting getting in the flow. And so all of a sudden I realized, this is how I'm going to do my dog portraits. So what I do is I um, I go to farmer's markets. I used to do the Arts Riot and in Burlington, and I do the Waitsfield Farmer's Market, looking forward to doing more farmer's markets and also, um, you know, other venues. Dog, um, when people, hotels have dog weekends and things like that, that's where I'm taking my work also. But anyway, so... I came up with this concept, and I go and I photograph dogs, and I I get this wonderful moment of a dog, and how I do that is by settling the dog down and communicating with them telepathically when we're at a, a, the farmer's market where there's a lot going on, and dogs are very sensitive as humans, as all living life, and so I sit the dog down and or do what we can the owner and the next thing I know I'm getting the dog's attention and I'm getting these moments okay now there's a lot of chaos going on in the background but that's okay we're looking for the moment we're looking for the expression of the dog then I take that expression I tell my client um, you know that come by do this QR code sign up I'll send you a link that will be on my um, which I have a website that is for all of my jobs and you can go on and then you can look at the photos. Okay. They have a watermark on them, etc. but you're looking just for the expression. You tell me the expression of the dog you like, what number that is of the photo. I then take that and I work it with a background of your choice. So I will talk to you on the phone and you'll, you once you pick, you pick the picture you then tell me, hey, Barry, I have a home that has these colors, this color, and is there a way you can make something that looks like that? So then I go to work, and then I send them a, a, a sample, and then they say yay or nay, and then like somebody just wanted Sugarbush in the background, and uh, someone wanted a green background, someone wanted a sepia. So it just depends on your decor, and I work with you. It's collaborative. This is not all about me. It's about collaboration. Well, I just opened mine up, and oh my God, I, the one with the little flowers in the back. You should. I right. Wish, wish we were, wish we were on TV here. This radio thing is not working at the moment. It's just amazing. Oh my God, is it the I'm Daisy here. one or the one with the cat it's, shadow on the wall? No, I like the daisy one um, because I, I like too. the colors in there. Um, yeah, I, I gave just, you a couple I of different variations. I gave you three variations. Yeah, that was just incredible. Oh, my God. I actually thought, Barry, that there 
that when I looked at the photos, that they weren't just photos. They were, there was painting added to it because the, they're just so incredible. And I want to, I want to read for folks. It's a short paragraph that, that was written about Barry. And I, this sort of sums it all up. Um, quote, you take the viewer to another dimension of existence by the subtle combination of artistic painterly images brought together from separate photos or through a change of focus, which reveals a magical element in everyday life. With exuberance, you unleash the power of light to elicit an almost infinite variety of moods and to take the viewer on a visual journey of the imagination. Holy mackerel. Um, and it was the phrase artistic painterly images. I, I really thought, you know how they'll... They'll put color in black and white, and, and I, I honestly thought you, you did that, but it's all through photography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you do that? It, it's amazing. Well, it's, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm floored. Aw. No, seriously, I thought we were going to talk about painting, and we're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's, it's, I think just years of coming up with concepts and always trying to think outside of the box and and um, come when I take workshops I learn from others we we all are helping each other we're all spreading our love with the art and right. with our personalities and our concepts and it's really about what one wants to do in their life and to to really go for that instead of go for what everyone else is doing so and that's that's fine too there's nothing wrong with that everyone has their own way now I'm doing my weddings with this beautiful touch so that someone when I photograph their weddings I do all the photos they get their whatever thousand photos that I provide and then we they would come into the studio into the gallery and Sit on those comfy couches by the fireplace <laughs> and the nice lighting. I'm, I'm all about that ambiance and good smells. And and so they come in and uh, we have a really nice time deciding on what image they might want to turn into a beautiful work of art, which is very personal right. because it's from their life and it means something. It could be driving down the road in their beautiful Cadillac from 1930, you know, if they made them then. And um, just the way that I can turn it into something that looks a lot, you wouldn't even know it was your wedding, but yet it really holds a special place in someone's heart. So that's what I try to do. And we do that together. That's why I call my gallery. It's a collaborative, collective collaborative gallery where we work together it's not like i said about me and my art and and all that it's it's very much about us creating this incredible work of art that we both bring it to fruition with our both of our ideas and you seem to know when you've caught that moment i mean does it just click and you say that's it that's the that click click it cuz that's it um uh, because I well, looked at all the, it's just there, and that's the moment. Well, I would say that that comes from once again being a photographer for many years. Yep. 
and just I look at the world as a photograph. I look at the world as a painting. When I go into a restaurant and I'm with a group of people, I have to be very strategic about where I'm going to sit. And that is because I get really affected by light. I'm very empathic where I feel if the light is right behind the person's head and I'm trying to talk to them, I won't hear a word they say because I'm so affected by the light. So I have to sit at a certain angle and because I'm constantly in my mind framing things. Things are a photograph to me, um, a work of art. And so that is something that I'm sensitive to sound. And I find that as I get older, it's even more and more. And, and I really, I welcome all of it. It's, it's part of my empathic ways. And, and in turn, that has made me a better photographer through the years, too. So I that's see great. the moments before they happen. It, that's really oh. how I explain it. It's already done in my mind when I'm at a job. I will see something happen, and then I'll bring the photo, the camera up, and I'll take it two seconds, it's down, so that people don't get conscious where you're holding the camera in their face or you know, you're composing something within the camera. I've already done that. Huh. So when it matches, you click. That's great. Yes. I always yes. tell people about Vermont that I hope over the years people don't... don't Stop realizing that every place you look in Vermont could be a, a picture for a calendar. I mean, we live in a beautiful state, and every place you look, there's an opportunity for a picture. Because it's that's so we, true. Maybe, yeah, isn't that great? I, oh, just, uh, I just hope people don't forget that over the years. If you've been here 30, 40 years, every place you look in Vermont, it's it's a picture waiting to happen. Um, it is so true. I grew up in the Berkshires and 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 would ride my horse barefoot and no no bridle and saddle all through the mountains and swim them through the our pond and hold onto their tails and you know you're connecting with them and and like I said I I struggled with city country for a while but it always <laughs> brought me back to country and hence I've been in Waitsfield on and off uh, four times. Because I moved somewhere else, and then I'm like, nope, came back. Yep, go to Oregon. Right. It's too brown. <laughs> I love Oregon. I've never gorgeous, been to Oregon. Oh, beautiful. Um, I love Waitsville. Waitsville, as I said, is just a, a great, great restaurants, great people, great everything, great stores. Love the green. Um, the so green. you have, yes, exactly. Um, so you have a thing that you offer. It's a you promote a series of photo- uh, photographers, uh, photograph pictures. I guess I'll say instead because I can't say that word. Um, <laughs> you call it you call it a day in the life of, and you yes. could you explain what you do with families and reunions and weddings and and even in you put down the corporate world, which is fascinating. Um, what does a day in the life of consist of? Okay, so. Um... When people come into my gallery, let's say I have I photographed a reunion, okay? Um, there's a family in, in Waitsfield for two weeks. And for those two weeks, which our family used to do, different families come at different times. So the family would hire me to come at different times throughout that two weeks, okay? So 
I would come for two hours on this day, maybe two hours on that day, and then two hours when the other family comes. So now I have six, seven hours worth of, of images. Then I would have, let's say the parents ordered this, okay? The parents want a record of their children and the families at these ages, and life goes by, and we miss these moments if they're not captured. So then they, once I've taken all these photos, I will then upload them. They will see the images. They will come into my studio gallery, and then we will sit down, and we will put together a um, compilation of all of the images that they liked, and then I will take panel boards and put beautiful... I take photos and put them directly on them, and then I make a collage that you can hang on the wall. So going up your stairs, let's say, you know how we have those, yep. we all have had the photos with different frames going up the stairs. Yep. This is a very clean, simple, beautiful look, and you can customize it once again to any colors you want, any look you want, and they, they could go all the way up a wall or stairs or whatever. And... Um, now, the grandparents have all these wonderful images of their family. And then 20 years from then, they sell the house. They can now give each one of those families a photo from that time in Vermont 20 years prior. To me, it makes me almost cry <laughs> because it's so sensitive and it brings goosebumps to me. And um, no matter, even though I'm doing it, I just, that's how I get these downloads that I'm like, yep, that's what I have to do. And I do it also for animals um, and the corporate world when you asked about that. I just did a big install for um, a, uh, a gentleman who has many companies here in Vermont, and we came up with the concept of doing this for his farm. So I went to his farm, I photographed his farm uh, with his wife doing the chores with the lambs, the baby, the baby um, donkeys and goats and horses and all this fabulousness, right? And yeah. then I um, went back, their dogs, and I composed this beautiful layout for them and they of their beautiful animals. And then all of a sudden he was like, yep, that's what I want. So then I installed it and the installations probably boy i don't know it's um she's um it's pretty big like there's images in there that are 36 by 36 okay wow. and so you put it all together like a puzzle and then you put it hanging on the the wall in the corporate office now when i talk about bringing love to the corporate world okay i think we've we don't have the beautiful small businesses the way that we used to and the mom and pop if that's what, shops. And I just miss that. And I grew up with that. And then all of a sudden I saw the corporate world changing a lot when I was younger. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. What happened to that store? So I want to bring love to the corporate world and, and the world. And so what I do is when that other person that's doing, let's say, the deal with this gentleman that has that install of his farm, he sits and the, the gentleman that walks in is looking right at his farm, right? <laughs> so he goes, oh, I have a farm. Oh, really? You do? Oh, yeah, I have a Palomino. Oh, yeah, so do I. 
So then it becomes they they instead of the deal so much about the deal and the money and the I love money as much as the next person. Don't get me wrong. It's just it's so beautiful that their hearts are connecting on a way of of life and what we're really all here for. You were also talking about a day in the life of and you sort of mentioned it, but you also do a day in the life of dogs. Um, yes. How does how does that work? I mean, all the things like right now, my puppy sits for two solid hours while I'm on the radio and doesn't budge. She doesn't make a sound for some strange reason. She knows what I'm doing, and my daughter said her dogs do the exact same thing. When she's on Zoom, they are the smartest little ones. They just kill mm-hmm. me. But anyway, so we would take a picture of her um, laying sleeping on the couch, and um, I just I want to take the picture of the of the eye missing because that's who she is now, and that's who we love. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's very important them. to honor who they are, and yep, and and uh, really feel their personality, and they're so sensitive and. Yep. And I I love that about this work because I get to communicate with them and look at them in the eye and really feel what they're feeling and and uh, be very aware because you know you're around dogs you have to be careful too. They, yeah, well, they, they get sure scared do. sometimes too. Yep, they do and do some some things you don't expect them to do. Um, exactly. Yeah, and it's and it's funny one day. They could be buds with somebody with another puppy, and the next day not. So it's it's a very strange dynamic. But my husband and I can get ourselves crying if we think of anything happening to this one. So mm. um, it's an important assignment that uh, you take on a day in the life of Coco or whoever. Um, Thank you. No, it's just I mean oh, all the memories and 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 they just love you unconditionally. And I I could do my speech about the. Um, Adopting a, a dog that's that's um, been abused or um, been left abandoned or whatever, because they figure it out in about 20 minutes in your house that they're safe and they will love you forever. Yes, it's, and it's so true. Instant. Yeah, I'm not big on spending tons of money just for the paper that goes with the dog. So, because um, you get, I think you get much more out from a dog that's been through hell and back and. Um, they know when they're being treated um, treated well, but but the photographs, I, I I am still puzzled that that's a photograph and not a little bit of painting touch up. Well, it is a combination of both. Yes, you're ah. absolutely correct. Yes, what okay. I do is it's all of the years and and different um, programs, different mediums that I use. Yep. and um, that is definitely has a painterly feel. I. I like to take it a step further. So, example, when I take photos at the farmer's market or wherever I take photos of dogs, I take photos of dogs everywhere. Um, I know the the quality of my lenses and all my camera gear, so I can push it as far as I need to. But I also offer, if people want to send in a photo of their animal, um, any animal, it doesn't have to be dogs, I photograph, I, right. I, whatever anybody wants, even a child. I, I do a lot with children, a lot of child stars, you know, families and children. Mm-hmm. Anything that moves, I love things that move. It's part of the ski thing, I think, <laughs> um, and also landscape. But um, 
yes, I do. I use different mediums and to bring it to fruition once again when we all come up with the concept together and and it's a feeling and it's knowledge of Photoshop and using Lightroom and using all these programs that get me to the final outcome of what somebody wants. So my mind is ticking when somebody sends me a photo of their dog and if I look at it and the quality's not good enough I will maybe have to make it look a little bit more painterly or I'll say it doesn't work. So there are sometimes photos will fall apart and I can't use that, which means that if you overwork them, there starts to be, there's lines in it and things like that. Mm -hmm. That's just a poor quality image. So those are the things that I would, I would talk to my clients about, Hey, let's try this angle. Let's do this. Um, So I can look at something quickly and set it up pretty fast, just like any of us in, in our profession. That's great. That's really amazing. Um, you also, you know, when you were talking about um, the corporate uh, thing, the project you did with the with the barn, what a great way for a owner of a company to to let his employees know who he is on a personal level, because there's this mystique guy who's always sitting in the you know president's. Uh, right office and and employees and rank and file don't exactly get to know him or her and what I just thought about what a great way <laughs> without being obvious about it you're really sharing something about you with your employees which could help the dynamic work environment and you know he's kind of one of us he's got a barn he's got cows and some sheep and whatever and and there they are doing doing chores and um how cool is that? Wouldn't it be wonderful if all offices had that? But yet I also turn them into painting, like, panel boards that are of their animals, but I also do, like, blur, and then their faces come forward, and it has this huh. feeling. So each piece is like that. It's it's like right. there were, you know, 25 pieces in this, and each piece is a work of art. So if every office had that, explaining who these people were, even if it's just beautiful scenery of places they've been that they send me, I mean, that when someone walks into their office, the the person can Mm -hmm. feel more connected. And I think it would be a beautiful thing if all corporate offices had that. It would soften the whole environment. And I just, it warms my heart to think that, that I know that's the way the world's going towards a, a much more loving place because we we really we are headed that way. I believe. Well, I hope you're right because there is so much anger in the world these days. It's a little scary out there. Um, yes. People are just so they just jump to anger before you even open your mouth, and and they're into anger and frustration and, and whatever else. And uh, and of course, when you see the devastation in Montpelier and Barrie and on all oh. around, I mean, just heartbreaking. Yeah, awful. it is heartbreaking. But, it is. But I um I like that idea about the corporate because a lot of times presidents and uh, executives don't they don't have the time nor sometimes do they know how to let employees know who they are. Uh, right. A great way right. to do it subtly without being so obvious. Because then when they come into their office, they can. They yeah. can see and they can ask them questions. You know, everybody has their ways of being private, but they don't have to pick those photos if they don't want. But that is exactly. where the people would come to my 
my gallery and we talk about it and we how far do you want them to feel um, about this but I think once we all tap into much more of a a loving feelings instead of angry feelings that is what's going to change the world and that is part of my mission here on planet is to in this universe is to really bring love and and healing and that is something that I live from, um, the earth. I grew up in nature and I spent hours in nature and I still do. I built a fairy forest last year on this beautiful property that to, I live. What a great thought to end the show on. Um, could you just uh, repeat your website for everybody? Cause I'm going to ask that they go and check it out. You bet. Um, I'm at, uh, B as in boy, Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R, photo, P-H-O-T-O, dot com. And my email is office at B as in boy, Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R, photo, dot com. And I also have a Facebook page where the Facebook page is is way better for keeping up on things. Facebook and Instagram, Barry Fisher photo, um, because I have someone who who posts for me, and um, we, we collaborate. Can't always keep the website 100% up to date all the time. So if you need okay, to Barry, see more understanding, gonna... go to the Facebook page. Uh, Barry, we're going to wrap it up. I can't thank you enough for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll chat about Coco and see you at the Farmer's Market, and go stop in at her gallery. You will love it. See you all. Um, it's Tuesday. We'll see you on Thursday. Pat McDonald from... Uh, WDEV on Vermont Viewpoint.